The blind stares of a million pairs of eyes Looking hard but won't realize That they will never see the pee Yes, sir. We're right back at it. It's All Eyes on Cleveland. I'm your host, Brad Ward, here to deliver another banger for you. We have a really good one tonight, as I promised. Tremendous guests coming up for you. You don't want to miss it. As Andy Benoit, NFL analyst for Sports Illustrated and Sports Illustrated's Monday Morning Quarterback, will join us. He is the host of the Monday Morning Quarterback Podcast as well. We will dive into all kinds of Brown things. Andrew Berry, Stefanski, how he will be as a play caller, what will change tendency-wise as a play caller once he's in Cleveland. We'll take a look at his interception study. What can we learn about Baker's interceptions from 2019? And we take a look at Joe Woods and what kind of defense he will be running for the Browns. What we can decipher from the personnel that he has. And tons more. As the NFL and NFLPA continue their talks today. And once again, we've got good news on that front. It's a killer show. Hope that you're tuned in. It's all lies on Cleveland. You start getting excited. Yes, sir. All eyes on Cleveland. It's the podcast. You can catch it where all popular podcasts are found, including iTunes, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, the TuneIn app, Radio.com, and Google Play. We will be published tomorrow morning at USA Today Sports Media Group's TheBrownsWire.com. And you can go to the webpage, AllEyesOnCleveland.com. The show where we interview the top personalities in the Cleveland sports landscape, discussing the pressing issues that face our favorite sports teams, the Cleveland Browns. And tonight, Andy Benoit of Monday Morning Quarterback in Sports Illustrated will join us to hash out what to look for with your 2020 Cleveland Browns. As it is looking more and more like training camp will start on time and the season could very well start on time. Couldn't kill that Mikey. Mikey's on the ones and twos behind the glass doing his thing as usual. 
Glad that you could tune in here tonight. Make sure you go out and grab an All Eyes on Cleveland t-shirt. It's pinned to the top of the All Eyes on Clee handle on Twitter. And that handle is at All Eyes on Clee. I'm not going to waste any of your time here tonight because he is a special guest for sure. Andy Benoit knows his stuff. He's tremendous. Writes for Monday Monday, Monday Morning Quarterback, pardon me, Sports Illustrated. Uh, recently did a uh, study where he looked into all of the interse- interceptions or would-be interceptions thrown in the 2019 NFL season. And we talked to him a little bit about that and what he learned from Mayfield's interceptions or would-be interceptions. Um, he'll talk a little bit about that study, but we also got into Joe Woods' defense, what to expect there, Andrew Barry, the job that he's done, talk a little bit about the NFL, NFLPA, uh, as some news is coming out right as we speak now, and we will hit that at the end of the show as well. I promise to keep you updated on all of that uh, as it looks like the Browns will be reporting on July 31st. Actually, tomorrow uh, will be um, today, pardon me, Baker Mayfield, quarterbacks and rookies reported to Berea. So it really is time to start getting excited, for sure. Greedy! Greedy? Huh. All right. OBJ's excited. You start getting excited. Uh, And without any further ado, let's get you to the interview. Andy Benoit of Sports Illustrated and Monday Morning Quarterback, co-host of the Monday Morning Quarterback podcast. Here it is. Enjoy. We are absolutely thrilled and honored to welcome to All Eyes on Cleveland today the NFL analyst from Sports Illustrated and Sports Illustrated's Monday Morning Quarterback, the co-host of the Monday Morning Quarterback podcast, Andy Benoit. How are we doing today, Andy? Brad, I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing doing just great. Just great here. Um, so we... Uh, I, we're elated to have you on the show, and uh, I had all these questions lined up to ask you about the uh, labor agreement, but it looks as though it may be coming to an end here as the, it's in the players' hands now to agree upon. Um, and uh, the kind of meeting point on this is what we're getting now uh, kind of uh, from Twitter and coming out of the meetings today. Uh, as far as the impact on the salary cap is that um, instead of the the two year taking the hit over two years like the owners wanted and eleven years the whole length of the collective bargaining agreement like the players wanted it sounds like it might be four years if agreed upon and that uh, it won't affect the 2020 cap but could affect the 21 21 cap uh, but won't go any lower than 175 million now normally if it would go up it's normal 10 million. You're talking about maybe like a $35 million dip from what teams may have been planning or expecting. Do you think that – how does that affect uh, teams' plans? Um, are they going to have to – you know, I mean, obviously teams can pull off some cap gymnastics, but do you see that making a big effect on rosters next year? Oh, possibly. Maybe a, you might see a few more veterans be dismissed than you normally would see, but – you know, Brad, really overall, every time you look at the salary cap thing and how teams do it, you mentioned yeah, 
cap gymnastics, that's probably a good way to put it, there's a lot of flexibility for how you can structure deals to make it work. And the overall bottom line is, is teams typically have about 20 to 25 veteran players that they absolutely want to keep. About 20% of those guys, five to seven of them, are going to be very, very expensive. The rest will kind of just cost what the market dictates. And then they, they look for the cheaper players everywhere else on the roster. And when all things are even, if it's between a cheap uh, young guy and a veteran guy, they're going to lean towards the cheap side of it. These teams aren't in the business of, of paying players more than they have to. There's not a lot of sentimentality in the NFL like that. So I, I think everybody will adjust, and I would imagine the effects of it will not be as significant as we would guess sitting here right now. Interesting. Um, I know there's a TV deal in uh, 21 and 22. Is there any way that that this doesn't, you think that it doesn't change at all, that somehow they keep it, the cap uh, even in 21? Or well, are they going to take losses that, that big? Yeah, that's a good question. That's probably a question more for the Andrew Brants of the world that look at the whole economic side of the NFL and the business of it. I, as, if I recall, I believe ESPN's TV deal expires after 2021, I want to say, and yeah. then everybody else follows the next year. So, which could very well be part of the reason that the league has decided to spread the salary cap hit of this year over the next several years because that TV money is going to skyrocket the cap, just like what happened with the NBA a few years ago when they had their TV money come in. So uh, it's you know, the TV thing is a good deal for everybody, and that's probably the important eye on, on the prize to maintain, and that probably was a big reason why they got this deal done now you don't want to be missing games right near the end of your TV deal, so that's, that's going to hurt those negotiations on your side. And I think they have a real chance this season to really boost their ratings in the NFL because besides the fact that not all sports are going on, and my sense is college football is going to have a lot of teams not playing this fall, uh, even like TV shows and stuff from what I hear, aren't filming right now either. So at some point, there's, I think there'll be a paucity of other entertainment in the, in the rest of the entertainment world. The NFL's got a chance to have a really big stage all to itself, and I'm sure they're smart enough to understand that. Yeah, absolutely. It makes sense. You are listening to All Out on Cleveland with special guest Andy Benoit of Sports Illustrated and Sports Illustrated's Monday Morning Quarterback. Um, Andy, if we turn our attention to the Cleveland Browns here, uh, so much hype last year, uh, covers of GQ, couple guys, you know, top 10 in power rankings. End result was 6-10 and 10 in another regime change. Um, what have your impressions of Andrew Barry as a general manager been so far? Well, I, I, I do not know Andrew Barry. I've, I've never met him the people I, I do know who know him and, and people I respect in the industry think extremely highly of him. And obviously he's been a, doing a lot of high level things at a young age, pretty much since, since he got into the game. So and I, my default position on him would be to have a sense of trust. And I, I think it's vital in the NFL that your head coach and your GM are on in lockstep with everything. And I don't think that happens as often as you would guess with teams. And my sense is it has not happened very often with the Browns in previous regimes. I think that's different here. I think I think it is Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski doing this together now. They're in the honeymoon phase. Nobody's lost any games yet, so maybe 
maybe there's some challenges will be ahead as they always are, but I, I have a lot of faith in both of those guys just based on their reputations. So you like Kevin Stefanski as well as a hire for the Browns? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think the world of Kevin Stefanski, he's done a lot of things in his career. He's coached a lot of different positions in Minnesota for a lot of different head coaches. So I, he's probably the most versatile hire that you can bring in as a head coach, even though he's a younger guy. He's had a lot of, he's worn a lot of hats in his career. And, you know, his dad was a, a high-level executive in the NBA growing up, and I, that does not mean Stefanski's any more qualified than the next football guy. But Stefanski's been around this part of the world before, and he understands the nav- uh, how to navigate the politics of ownership, the politics of front office, the politics of the media, and all of that's part of the equation. And, and I think really what's most settling and, and reassuring about him is that he's got a lot of self-security. He is very comfortable in his skin, which is why he's so good at navigating all those different things. And all that put together, I think they've got a really good, flexible head coach, and that's just his temperament. When you look at the football part of it and what he does as a schemer, I, I think quietly he's been one of the best in the NFL in the last couple years. Last year was in the running game, uh, 2016, I believe it was, in the year Pat Shermer was their offensive coordinator. Stefanski did a lot in their passing game. I thought it was maybe the best designed passing game in the league, at least for quick strike stuff. So he's a really good all-around coach. I'm I'm very optimistic for him. That's outstanding news. Uh, certainly, uh, he he certainly does feel different here in Cleveland. Now we say that all the time. So, <laughs> but yep, yep. Uh, uh, but he certainly feels like uh, the adult in the room. Finally, maybe um, in, in that way, it seems like a different feel from him, Andy. Um, you did an incredible uh, study. Uh, just to even think about where you went back and uh, evaluated all 626 interceptions that took place in the 2019 uh, NFL season. Um, if you uh, um, had a took a look at the Browns and the 21 interceptions that Baker Mayfield threw, was there a trend that emerged or um, – something to learn from those 21 interceptions that we could take away from that? Well, yeah, there's always, those are always great learning opportunities. And that's partly why I did that, that play is I think that's what coaches probably look at more than any other plays are those turnovers and what you can learn from them. And, you know, that 626 interceptions, we, we definitely need to know that 411 of those were caught and another 215 were dropped. And we included the 215 in the study because the process of a dropped interception is the same as a process of a caught interception. The only difference is the defender, who we all know he can't catch the ball anyway, he happened to hold on to the ball on one and drop the other. But it's yeah. the same mistakes and the same problems leading to the outcome. So when you combine the dropped interceptions and the interceptions, what really stood out, and this is true with every QB, is, is that they had a lot of interceptions. They probably had a lot of dropped interceptions, and what was causing the interceptions was causing the drops. It was it was pretty synchronized there, and Mayfield certainly had a lot more of those plays that I'm sure he wants and that the Browns want, and I think he's a better quarterback than what he showed last year. As far as what specifically showed up, what was also surprising, Brad, is for the most part, all of these QBs, were pretty balanced in what causes their interceptions. It was a 
uh, one third at some kind of when it's their fault we're talking. Sometimes it's not their fault, of course, but yeah. on the plays where it was their fault, one third of the time it's a bag of mental mistake. Another third of the time it's a poor decision, mental mistake. They maybe misread the defense. Poor decision. They read the defense correctly, but they they tried something that they shouldn't have tried anyway. Uh, and then the other third probably just inaccurate. The only QB who really wasn't consistent across the board or diverse across the board who actually was Baker Mayfield, a lot more of his interceptions on average than other guys, a lot more were bad throws, which really surprised me because what stood out with him as a rookie and what people liked about him coming out of Oklahoma was his accuracy. And I think especially his accuracy between the numbers, those seam balls that he throws so well, yeah. Those were in dig routes where there's a guy breaking in at 18 yards. Those were the throws that he was missing on a lot of those interceptions last year. Is that like uh, an issue with fundamentals, his feet? Um, I mean, where does that come from? I mean, because, you know, you hear people say, like, accuracy is just something that, you know, some people have. It's really, you know, that's a kind of an ongoing debate of whether that's something that can be taught or whatever um, to a certain degree. Uh, you know, what were you able to decipher? What was the cause of maybe his inaccuracy at all? I think it's a combination of a few things. Um, and, and for one, understand that uh, Kevin Stefanski is very much in the class of, of I don't want to say he, he just says accuracy is what it is, but he is a big believer in not over mechanizing your quarterback, not getting too deep in the weeds of the mechanics trusting that these guys are pros and they know how to throw the ball and helping them be comfortable with that. And I think with Mayfield, that's probably the right way to do it because he's such a gunslinger mentality that you want to make him comfortable so when he's slinging the guns, so to speak, he's got a chance to succeed. What happened last year, for one, I, I my guess is he probably didn't fully trust his receivers because uh, and really it's Landry was the guy that had more of these, but the Browns had an abnormal number of bad routes that resulted in interceptions as well, which are separate from what we're talking about. But hmm. remember, quarterbacks have memories, and if your receiver's not exactly where he was a couple snaps ago and you had an interception because of that, that, that could well impact how you're going to throw the ball. Even subconsciously it impacts you later in the game. So just the lack of chemistry with the receivers was a factor, I think, he didn't. Mayfield did not always trust his offensive line, and he probably had good reason not to. I don't think the line was as bad as people make it out to be. They, they certainly had a problem at left tackle at times. Uh, but Mayfield overall was not the same QB in the pocket last year, and the line looked worse because of it. And then the line started, I think, to play worse because of it, and it was just a big snowball. So another probably another one you can chalk up to just lack of chemistry there. And you add a little bit here, a little bit there. You know, I think there is a reality that Baker Mayfield, he's six feet tall, and if his pocket's not good or he's more, let's put it this way, if he's not comfortable manipulating his pocket, if he's not comfortable moving within it or moving in and out of it, then his, his lack of height becomes an issue. It's not an issue when he is comfortable. Look at Drew Brees or Russell Wilson, such a different style at QB. But, you know, you can play with, with being a short guy. But when things go wrong, it's just simple. It's just geometry. It's just biology. You can't see over guys that are taller than you sometimes, yeah. and that, that can really cause you problems. So it's more important than ever to have everybody on the same page with a QB like Baker Mayfield. 
Yeah, no question. Uh, I'm curious, when you mentioned the routes real quickly, Gary, uh, and you say bad routes, do you mean like they were running the wrong routes or just like poor sloppy routes? More often it's they're running the wrong routes. Um, okay. Those can be hard to judge. You have to you, – you almost most of the time, very often, you have to have someone on the inside telling – you have to have a coach telling you what happened on the play. Right, and yeah. So that's – and that's part of the reason the interception play took so long is I talked to a coach from every team, usually it's the offensive coordinator or head coach or QB coach or somebody, someone with the passing game fingerprints that they have on the passing game. So often it's 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 the wrong route, but – Anymore, Brad, the routes are so intertwined and so detailed in the league that a sloppy route is essentially a wrong route as well. You might just not run it as well, and it's you, you basically just ran the wrong route. You've got to be very pristine and defined with a lot of your route running in a lot of systems. Not every system, but most systems. Yeah, that makes sense. You're listening to Andy Benoit of... Sports Illustrated and uh, co-host of the Monday Morning Quarterback Podcast um, on All Eyes on Cleveland. Um, so that's just to fancy real quickly as a play caller here. Arif Hassan of The Athletic wrote a really interesting article, um, Andy, compar- comparing Gary Kubiak and Stefanski uh, as tendencies to pass the ball in close games. Um, and Stefanski was ranked, like, in close games, and it, and it was a number of scenarios, but was ranked, like, 25th in the league in pass rate, while Kubiak, in, in, you know, in a very, what, influenced his offense or the same offense, basically, was in the top half of the league in the same situations in pass rate. Do you think that Stefanski's maybe, I guess I would dare to say, conservative tendencies as in 19, uh, 2019, can be attributed to being a first-time offensive coordinator under Mike Zimmer? Well, I assume, though, that Kubiak information, is that coming from when Kubiak was in Denver or Houston or somewhere? Yeah, any of his, uh, any of his, uh, him being an offensive coordinator or the play caller. I got you, yeah. I think, no, I think what, what Stefanski's conservativeness last year, I think it was directly a result of Mike Zimmer, and that's how Mike Zimmer wants to play, and he, Zimmer believes they're a run-oriented team, and for the most part that has worked for them. And Stefanski, back to that flexibility and humility he has, he adapted 100% and did what the head coach wanted, which is what an offensive coordinator is supposed to do. And ideally you want the head coach – telling you things to do that you yourself want to do. You, you coordinators and head coach want to be on the same page. I think yeah. for the most part they were there. And, uh, so I would, I don't think, St- I'm sure Stefanski will run the ball more than a lot of coaches. And I, I imagine the Browns will play out of base personnel a lot because there's a lot of advantages, especially in your passing game when you do that. But I, I don't think anyone will be calling him a conservative head coach at the end of this season. Okay, yeah, that you know that was gonna be my next question. You expect a more aggressive uh, Stefanski in a Browns offense, but you answered that right there. So uh, you would expect that. Then, do you worry at all about like ball distribution with this offense? You know, Landry, Beckham, Hooper, Hunt, Chubb, or is that just a good problem to have? 
Well, it's, it's a good problem to have. You certainly hope that those guys are professional enough to understand that there's one football and one objective, which is to win the game. And sometimes that's going to leave some people feeling like they're left out in certain scenarios. Uh, and I don't know if those guys are that professional or I don't, I don't know any of these guys. I just, I know the coaches, but the players are just guys you see on film. So, you yeah. know, that's we'll, we'll, only a few people will know that, but if that's the case, if they're fine, then it's, it's a good problem to have. Yeah, certainly. Um, I want to uh, redirect our attention here to the defensive side of the ball here before I let you go, uh, Andy. Um, Joe Wood takes over as defensive coordinator for the Browns, and I've kind of been waiting to find out more information on this, so I wanted to ask you about it. Um, you know, he's been in a number of schemes. He's run a 4-3. He's been a part of 3 fours. Uh, he ran the, uh, what, a 3-4 uh, win for two years in Denver when he was um, the uh, defensive coordinator. And then all the way, you know, last year, he very much they ran Seattle's cover three uh, a majority of the time with San Francisco. So so we know he's been a part of a lot of different schemes and, and stuff. We know he's staying with the 4-3 based on personnel, he said. What – do you have an idea, like in your mind, do you uh, have an idea of what scheme or what you expect to see Joe Woods run with this Browns defense? Well, I think one thing anymore, most 4-3 and 3-4 schemes are, they're, they're the same once the ball is snapped. The only difference is where one or two guys might line up. But right. the the objective is still everyone, everyone except for maybe one guy, depending on if you're in single high or two high safety looks, but you know, if you have two guys back deep, then one of your guys will probably have to take two gaps. But when people say three, four, we think of these big behemoths like the Steelers had in the 90s where, they, where everyone up front's playing two gaps, and that's really not how it goes in the NFL anymore. Not very, not often. Few teams do that. But Cleveland, I, they're not going to do that. Joe Woods will be a penetrating defense. Um, it's, uh, what I'm interested to see is what kind of coverages they play because – you did. You laid it out. They did a lot of cover three in San Francisco, where Joe Woods has been. This the Vikings regime and Jeff Howard, who's the passing game D coordinator. He came over with Stefanski from Minnesota. They they've seen up close that a, a two deep coverage foundation, in this case quarters coverage, where everyone has a back fourth of the field. Your safeties are very aggressive playing that way. That's worked really well for the Vikings, and I would imagine they're going to want to do some of that stuff as well. So it'll be interesting to see these teams like to keep their – One, I remember last year I was with a team, let me sit in on everything, and I was doing it a little bit for a story, but they knew there was certain stuff that, that they're not going to want me to write, and I understood that. Yeah. One, of the, one of the things they told me not to write was – anything about their defensive scheme because this team had a new coordinator and they said nobody in the league really knows what we're going to do because they don't know a lot about our coordinator and we want to have that advantage in weeks one and two and I would imagine the Browns feel the exact same way so they have no problem at all that we're talking about Joe Woods and wondering and that's going to in their minds I'm sure that's going to be an advantage for them I wouldn't be surprised I guess it doesn't matter now there's no preseason I was going to say I wouldn't be surprised if they even played dummy looks in preseason to maintain the advantage. Yeah, yeah, interesting. You know, the one comment I, I've been trying to pay attention to is press abilities through Zoom or whatever, right? And that hasn't been many, but he, the one he did do, he did talk a lot about, you know, obviously in the NFL nowadays, most of the time you have 
you have an extra defensive back on the field anyways most of the time. But nickel and dime coverages, he talked a lot about it. And I guess with – if you look at the Browns linebackers, right, and, and you can kind of tell a lot by that, they're very, very weak at linebacker, very, very young, right? Um, I guess my question to you would be, do you think we see three safeties on the field more than often just because of the weakness there? Well, I think that's very possible. So I'm, I'm trying, I don't have their depth chart in front of me. I know some Dayho and Carl Joseph are both there now. Who, who is, who else is at safety for them? Remind me, Brad. Really nobody. Grant Delpit, uh, the draft that's, pick. Right. Uh, Joseph Sendejo, that's really the three that you're looking at. I mean, I believe that would get any playing time. And then, so, and then at linebacker, besides Mac Wilson, who I think is a, a better player than people realize, uh, Schobert's gone. So. Yeah, you're looking at Taki Taki, Sione Taki Taki, second-year guy, Jacob yep. Phillips they drafted, and then they picked up B.J. Goodson from Green Bay, kind of a journeyman. So yeah. really cover, just a run guy. Basically. Yeah, he's a classic run-something linebacker, and uh, Taki Taki I know got on the field. I remember seeing him on film a little bit late last year, but not a, probably not enough to make a declaration on what he is. Yeah. You know, this is a, this is a little troubling because they really don't have they don't have proven depth at safety for one, and the two that they do have who are proven have been injury prone in the last couple of years, right. and they don't have a lot of experience at linebacker. And even though I like Mac Wilson, uh, you know he he's not a pure cover line, certainly not a pure cover linebacker. He's more of a run guy, but I don't know if he's quite the linebacker you want on the field if you're playing dime and he's your only linebacker, but that's probably how it's going to go. Probably um, will be, yeah. Yeah, so this this will be a function of minimizing a weakness, quite frankly, because I, I don't know. I mean, I, the hope is Delpit plays really well and is ready to go, and, you know, he's yeah. a rookie and they haven't had an offseason, so who knows. But if Delpit can play, they'll probably, and assuming everyone's healthy, they'll probably go three safeties would be my guess. But – uh, and they'll do both, but they'll mainly go three safeties. But that, these are big questions, and I'm sure this is the, one of the biggest things they've got on their agenda to figure out in training camp. Yeah, I would think so, too. And then if you look at the defensive backfield, just get your thoughts on that, too. You know, they go Denzel or Greedy Williams, obviously, both kind of younger guys. Denzel uh, has had trouble staying healthy. You know, Greedy played decently against – you know, at times last year he flashed, but not uh, definitely not very. Uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not very steady out there. You know, hit or miss. Uh, Terrence Mitchell, and then they picked up Kevin Johnson from Buffalo. Is like who you're looking at is your four corners, basically. Probably he's a former first round pick. I think he had a good year in Buffalo last year. Average mm-hmm. four four ones in Houston, um, but. Uh, those are, I mean, you're looking at all four of those guys are man-to-man type corners. Um, I don't know if that leads you to anything with the defense or no. Well, yeah, I, you know, I think that's the strength of the of the defense. I, Greedy Williams is a wild card. What you his good snaps you like a lot, and then what was a little concerning were the snaps he got beat on last year. I, I want to send to confirm on my film notes, but I want to say he was getting beat the same way a lot of the times. Yeah. Uh, and there were a lot of teams that were isolating him outside the numbers and then running a one-break route, a, a, an in-breaker or a comeback route, what have you. Um, 
but look, in the rookie corners, that's, you're going to get that in the NFL sometimes. I think the talent will win out with him. I think Denzel Ward's a top-five corner talent for sure. So they're going to be fine outside, and even though they're probably going to play more zone than man, for the corners in their scheme, they carry their vertical routes. So if you're in zone and a guy runs down the field into your zone, you're turning and running with them. It's essentially man-to-man at that point for you. So okay. I, those corners will be a big deal for them. And assuming they get the slot figured out, that'll be interesting because Kevin Johnson he does have – at his best in Houston, he was very – he had some incredible feet, very good short area lateral agility and movement, which is typically a, a, a trait you would associate with good slot corners, especially good zone slot corners. Um, Johnson was not on the field a lot in Houston, which is why he's not there anymore, and so he never quite – fully developed his pure identity in the pros and he's kind of one of those guys now what is he is he an outside guy is he a slot guy ideally he's an outside guy but in this team they're not, I, i'd be shocked if they put greedy williams in the slot i think ward could play the slot and be very good at it but i would imagine they're going to want him on the x receiver or the number one receiver most of the time yeah. so then it's the question is, can kevin johnson be your slot guy and that's that's a hard one to answer because their slot's going to have some demands at it in terms of matching up with guys. Now, one thing that is different, though, is that they have those two safeties back a lot of the time. Let's assume they're playing two safeties back instead of the cover three. Then your slot guy also has some help to some degree, depending on how things go. So th- that's all stuff they have to figure out. And maybe, Brad, that's why we don't know what Joe Woods is running yet because Joe Woods doesn't know what he's running yet. He hasn't seen his linebackers or safeties play, and he doesn't know who his natural slot corner is yet. Very true. Very true. Great point. Uh, last thing here, and you are listening to All Eyes on Cleveland with special guest Andy Benoit. Andy, you've been fantastic. Thank you for your time so much. But uh, I want to give you some names here. Um, obviously, the Browns uh, extended uh, Miles Garrett uh, to the most uh, you know lucrative contract in, of any defensive player so far in the NFL. Um, but they've got other guys up, right, for extensions. And this, this is new for the Browns probably, but I think before uh, Miles Garrett, the only guy that I ever saw in my lifetime or, or and since they've come back, I would say, uh, was um, uh, Joe Hayden got an extension. Mm-hmm. I think that was the only other guy they've extended since I can remember. But um, they have Larry Ogunjobi will be up for an extension. Is that somebody you would think they would have on their list to extend? I imagine he's a guy that they will prioritize and they'll have a set number with him. Not that you don't have a set number with everybody, but they'll probably keep a firm line with Ogan Joby. And I, I, I don't know what the highest paid nose shade tackles make. I think Jaron Reed for the Seahawks is at about 10 million a year. I want to say, mm-hmm. um, let's say if Reed is at 10 million, Ogan Joby's probably worth seven to eight. Uh, with the market going up, he's probably worth six right now compared to Reed. And so they'll probably have a set number at seven or eight and hold a firm line there, and the market will dictate that one, whether he stays or goes. Okay, interesting there. Um, I, I would hate to see him go. Uh, running back, uh, obviously, Nick Chubb. Is he special enough to give that, that dreaded running back extension to or him <laughs> franchise tagging him or what? Um, yeah, possibly. I do think he's a good player. I think, I think he's above, 
better than a typical back. And, and I don't think that about a lot of backs and I don't mean to be disrespectful to the position. I, I just think, uh, I, I do believe in most systems you can plug and play and be pretty successful with your back. Look at the, the Ravens and Niners, the two best running teams last year in the league, both did that. So you could also say the Titans had the best running back last year and he carried them to the championship. And that was a, a true battering Ram first and second down back. So, you know, Chubb is somewhere in between that Chubb's not just a second a first and second down player, but he's not quite a three down back, but what he is is a tremendous runner. And he's certainly someone you can play three downs and feel comfortable enough with. Um, he is a tremendous running talent though. And then it's a matter of how much that means to the team and whether they're willing to invest in that. I, I would think they'll try to invest big money short term with him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, that makes sense. And then Denzel Ward is probably a guy that you they would want to look to extend as well, right? And he's coming up here. Um, yeah. And if and if he plays well, is he coming up after this year or after the, the following year? They have a fifth-year option with him. Yeah, he'll come up after the following year, I believe. So they they can kick that can down the road because if Ward goes as planned, um, and we he's going to have to stay healthy, of course, for that to be the case. But let's say he stays healthy and continues to play at the level he's shown he's playing at, he's going to be a break-the-bank guy, and he'll be the highest-paid corner for a week until the next guy is. He'll be he'll be you know he'll be the Byron Jones of his year if it ever gets to that. But that's that's two years down the road at this point. So I'm sure Andrew Barry and Stefanski, they're probably – I bet they haven't talked about that one a whole lot longer than you and I just talked about it, at least not once they've started working and actually doing the job. Yeah. And then obviously Baker Mayfield, you know, um, and that's completely undecided, right? So instead of asking you for a projection of, you know, what normal people probably ask you if they have any stuff, no, what you know? Give me a projection of what the Browns' record is. Instead of that, I'm going to ask you for the projection on how Baker Mayfield does this year. All right, I like that. I think he'll be. I think he'll be much closer to the guy he was as a rookie than the guy he was as a sophomore, which is a good thing for Browns fans. Uh, the system is what Stefanski does will play well to his his skill set. You know, Mayfield is. Uh, He's got, and I actually, Warren Sharp made a great point. I was reading Warren Sharp's stuff the other day, some of the analytics he has. And I, I, the film backed this up, which is why I'm, I'm sharing it. You know, Mayfield has this reputation as a, a spread him out gunslinger, which is what he was in college. Mm-hmm. I, I really think he's his best at his best when he's in base personnel and it's a run pass balance and you're getting a play action game off of that. And I imagine that's how the Browns feel, which is why they have invested at the tight end position. They've signed a fullback, and they hired a guy who ran more base personnel than anyone in the league last year to recall the plays. So, uh, you know, I think they'll have a better idea of what Mayfield is as a QB, and that he's going to be all the better for it, assuming he is receptive to it. And my guess is he will be receptive to it. Yeah, uh, I hope so. I hope so. You know, he he's had a, a – Drawing a tough uh, uh, hand here with, you know, what, four OCs, uh, four teams in three years now, or four head coaches in three years now. It's hard to, you know, people will talk a lot in here at Cleveland, Andy, and say it's a make-or-break year for him. I have a hard time saying that, even though it's probably a reality, but it just doesn't seem fair with, you know, the changing of coaches so much and kind of the dysfunction that he – so early on, so 
I guess well, we'll see how I, I, it all plays out. Yeah, and I agree. I, I agree with the general sentiment. One thing to keep in mind is coaches cause or uh, quarterbacks cause that for themselves at times too. If yeah. Mayfield had played like he did as a rookie last year, the Browns probably had gone nine and seven, and Freddie Kitchens is still here. Remember Alex Smith years ago? Everyone used to say, "Oh, Alex Smith, the system's changed. Poor guys had a new coordinator every year." Well, he didn't play very well, and that was part of the reason they were changing coaches. He, they're not going to change the $50 million quarterback. The finances don't allow it. You're not going to go into the season with the same bad offense you had the year before, so you change the coach, and then people say, well, the quarterback hasn't had a chance to get comfortable. And then um, there's something to that. I'm not saying there's nothing to it, but quarterbacks cause coaching changes as much as coaches cause coaching changes. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, Andy Benoit, uh, follow him on Twitter at Andy underscore Benoit. Um, he is the NFL analyst for Sports Illustrated and SI's Monday Morning Quarterback, the co-host of the MMQB podcast, which you can find where all popular podcasts are found. Any parting words for us today as uh, you sign off here, Andy? Thank you so much for your time. You were fantastic. No, I, I appreciate it. I've enjoyed it. Uh, thanks for having me. Outstanding. Have a good day, Andy. Okay. Thanks, Brad. Bye now. How about that, huh? How about that? That was Andy Benoit of uh, Sports Illustrated and Monday Morning Quarterback. He's the co-host of Monday Morning Quarterback podcast, um, which uh, I suggest you listen to. Andy knows his stuff. Uh, He was a great get for this show. Um, and uh, really did a great job breaking down everything Brown's there for you. I know you're going to love that interview for sure. Um, as we come back here, make sure you uh, big thanks to Andy for coming on the show. As uh, um, that was awesome for truly, truly, truly awesome. A lot of reasons, a lot of t- lot to take away from what we talked about there. Um, Joe Woods, the defense, he took the time to go through all the personnel there with me uh, and talk about kind of what Joe might run and what he's looking at, and uh, it was excellent. The whole thing was excellent. So, big shout-out to Andy Benoit for coming on the show today. And there we have it. Mikey's on the ones and twos. You're listening to All Eyes on Cleveland. Um, You can catch the show where all popular podcasts are found. We'll be published tomorrow morning at USA Today, Sports Media Groups, thebrownswire.com. You can go to the website, alleyesoncleveland.com. Just to wind things down here today, we have excellent news. Excellent news. Let's just just get it going there. The NFL, 
Hey now, Mikey. The NFL and the NFLPA have come to terms. It's official. It's in the books. The financial stuff and everything is there. (laughs) Players will report to training camp on time on the 31st. Great, great stuff. We got baseball going, uh, watching the Tribe right now. Uh, Your Cleveland, uh, I hope they name them the Blue Sox. That's just my submission, by the way. I don't like the Spiders. Definitely nothing to do with the rock and roll. Hall of Fame or anything like that. No rockers, no rocks, none of that. I I like the Blue Sox. I like the Cleveland Blue Sox. But anyways, the Tribe playing right now uh, in their home opener. So sports are officially back. And uh, tonight on uh, 7-24-2020, the NFLPA uh, Executive Committee got the final, uh, or got the offer, proposal, I should say, from the NFL, and said uh, unanimously recommended that the player reps uh, sign off on it, and the player reps approved it. So it is official. It's in the books. You can can take that one uh, to the bank. Uh, as we will have uh, camp kicking off on the 31st. So let's go over what they decided today. We Last show, we went over all of the health and safety stuff, everything that was left really is financial. So here's what they have worked out. Uh, let's start with an opt-out. So opt-out plans, and, and uh, they kind of, and you can see here in these deals where they did meet halfway on about both of them. So in the opt-out, players may opt-out for uh, up to eight days from when the uh, deal is finalized. So the labor agreement uh, or you know, for this year is finalized today. Eight days from today is the first, so, which is ironically the day that the NFL wanted the opt-out deadline to be all along. So the deadline will end up being the first, just like the league had wanted from the beginning. Um, Now, they broke this opt-out into two different uh, classes of opt-out. So you can be a high-risk opt-out. Now, what that means is it's basically uh, the CDC, the Center for Disease Control's uh, pardon me, increased risk categories. Uh, any of those categories, if you fall under those categories, you are a family member, I believe is how it is. Uh, so, for example, moderate to severe asthma, sickle cell disease, type 2 diabetes, uh, all of those fall under the CDC's increased risk categories. That makes you a high-risk uh, player or your family is a is a high risk case, and in that scenario, now before I go any further, there is one exception to those increased risk categories, 
One of them is by is BMI, body mass index. So because obviously seventy percent of the NFL is uh, you know over their BMI, so that would make everybody uh, qualify for this. So that is the one uh, ex- you know exception to the CDC's increased risk uh, category, um, or now what's going to be the high-risk category of NFL players. So if you are a high-risk case and you choose to opt out by the first, it is irrevocable. You cannot change your mind. You choose to do so, you are out for the season, no coming back. Um, you will receive a $350,000 stipend with no offset. So, uh, get the money, $350,000. Um, it's not pulled from your salary. Uh, it's just going to be a stipend that's given to you because you're a high-risk candidate or your family is a high-risk case and you chose to opt out of the 2020 NFL season. Now, this is where it gets crazy. Uh, if you're a high-risk candidate and you opt out, you get that stipend, as we said, 350 k and you get an accrued credited season. Oh, man! Oh, man! Oh, man! I hate that rule. I hate that. <laughs> I mean, I guess they had to do it if you're high risk or whatever, but that's where they met them halfway. But I hate that for teams, for fans, uh, that they can get an accrued season uh, for opting out. Now, I get that they're a high risk case and no joke of a virus. I'm not making that, you know any light towards that. I just think that giving them an accrued or credited season is a little crazy, but they're going to do it. So 350K stipend and they get the credited season. So they may be going to not playing in in 2020 and then going to be a uh, free agent. That may happen for some teams. We don't know. Depends on uh, how many opt-outs we see. And we'll talk about that in a minute here. Uh, Voluntary is the other category or other case of opt-out. Now, for a voluntary opt-out, there's no high risk or anything like that. But the player just wants to opt-out anyways. They certainly can. They have to do it by the first. It's irrevocable. You can't change your mind. You're out for the season once you do it. You'll get a $150,000 salary advance. So it's not it, it's a stipend or whatever, but it's coming from your salary. So uh, future salary, future earnings. So the uh, that's a difference between the high risk and the voluntary, where the high risk is just three hundred and fifty grand they're giving you, and this is the hundred and fifty grand that you're getting advanced on your salary, so you can live uh, for the X amount of time. Uh, well, till next season in this case. So, and then they get no accredited or no accrued season. So, voluntary opt outs, no accredited season, no accrued season. So, you're, you're basically your contract will get put on hold. There's no penalty or anything like that. And then in 21, it, when you come back, 
uh, you know, pick up right where you left off in your year of your contract uh, that you were supposed to go into in 2020. Now, how many opt-outs will we see? Uh, I've heard different numbers. I'm going to say five. I'll say, I'm going to guess five, maybe five to seven. I don't think we see double digit opt outs in the NFL. I really don't. Maybe wish, wishful thinking, but uh, I don't think we see double digits in the opt out category. The other major issue that was decided upon today so that what we just went over the opt outs, that's done. That was part of the NFL proposal with all the other stuff, no preseason games, daily testing for two weeks, unless it's uh, under or above 5%, then it's every day. Uh, All that stuff we talked about on the last show that was decided a couple days ago, now the financials are done, there's your opt-out. So now we look at the other big one, which is the salary cap issues. So we know that the league wanted to absorb their losses this year in the 2020 season where teams would have probably had to cut, make quite a bit of room on their roster this, you know, during this camp if they would have dropped the 2020 cap by $8 million, which was the original idea. So right now it's going to be... Uh, the the salary cap for this year is one ninety eight and some change. So probably basically call it two hundred million dollars. They they were going to drop it by like eight to ten million this year, and then the rest of the losses that they incur this year was going to go against the cap next year. That's what the league wanted. Now, the Players Association wanted to take those losses this year and spread them out over the life of the new CBA that they came to terms back in January. So that CBA uh, is 11 years long, so spread out the losses of one year over 11 years, and you can maybe keep that salary cap flat for the couple years and then return to you know, the 4 to 5% increase every year or the $10 million increase in cap every year, which is what is pretty standard. So if we projected what the cap was going to be in 2021, if there never was a uh, coronavirus, it would have been projected to be in the range of right around 210 million dollars which is up another 10 million so what they did agree to now we know what you know we know what the players we wanted we know what the league wanted what they came to terms at was midway point so losses that the league uh, will incur in the 2020 season will be spread out over four years So not the whole life, not the two years, somewhere in between, four years. Uh, And the salary cap in 2021 cannot go any lower than $175 million. So if they do take, you know, 
exorbitant amount of losses. Uh, they can, you know, apply some of those losses towards the 21 cap, but only to the point that it lowers the cap to $175 million so that tons of veterans are not losing their jobs, right? Um, even though that would make a big effect because if you talk about, it's not just this year's cap number, 200 down to 175, which is a difference of $25 million for every team. We're talking what they thought it was going to be in 21 projected wise, which is 210. So we're talking of a difference of $35 million. You heard me ask that at the beginning of the interview to Andy, uh, as he said, you know, we talked a little about, bit about cap gymnastics as there certainly are guys on every payroll that know how to work these things to keep the players they want. <clears throat> Kansas City Chiefs. Oh, don't man! Know, don't know how you're doing it. Uh, but either way, uh, that's uh, that's what's going to be. So, and then no... You know, no change to the cap this year, so no scramble mode there. If you make the team this year, you're good. Uh, so that's good. So no, they're not cutting into the 2020 cap. You can cut into the 21 cap, but only by uh, down to 175, which would be a difference of 25 from this year and 35 from the projected cap number originally for 21. Um, now something to keep in mind when you talk about these cap numbers, okay, the NFL, and I mentioned this to Andy as well, uh, their TV deals. And so that we're talking the same kind of, you know, when your TV deal is up, that's a huge influx of cash that year. Remember in the NBA, as, uh, Andy pointed out, when they had their TV deal go through, the cap went through the roof. And if you recall, everybody made a ton of money. I mean, seventh guys off the bench were just banking. Just multi-million dollar, multi-year deals. Uh, you know, in Cleveland here, Tristan Thompson basically got a max deal uh, that that off season because of the um, inflation in the salary cap because of those TV deals. So knowing the losses are coming this year, but also knowing in 21 Monday night football is up so that the NFL will renegotiate that deal with somebody. So that's the ESPN right now. But Monday night football deal is up. If they want to keep it, they're going to have to pay a lot. Um, especially if you think about, as Andy pointed out as well, that all this football is going to be TV only for a period of time. So ad revenue, ad spacing is going to be more expensive, all that stuff. So they're going to be able to sell these TV deals for a ton of money. So TV deal after the 21 season for Monday Night Football, and then right after that, the next year, after 22, the rest of the NFL packages, so Sundays, Thursday night, Sunday night, all that stuff will be up for a new deal. So another big influx of cash from 21 and 22. So 
can the you know Monday night football money, the TV deal money that they know is coming offset this uh, loss that the league may take this year? It's very possible. So even though they have it built in that the salary cap can only go you know down to 175, it's possible that they could keep it the same. Or even in you know inflated a little bit, you have this four years to work through. You know the TV deal falls in that four years. I don't see why you can't borrow against that somewhat to make sure that the cap stays flat, or maybe even artificially inflated a little bit, uh, which is what we heard from Tony Pauline, uh, what four weeks ago now, um, when he was on the show talking about this very topic. So there it is. That's how it breaks down. They they split the they split the baby four years, and they split the baby on the opt out with two different categories. Uh, one gets uh, a little more money of a stipend and an accrued season uh, for the high risk opt outs. The non high risk opt outs or the uh, quote unquote voluntary opt outs. Uh, will get a $150,000 stipend, no accrued season. Uh, so the only thing up sitting there for me is the accrued season, really. I don't think anybody that opts out should get an accrued season, but I get it. It's high risk. This was unavoidable. They had to give somewhere. Um, I think that they have a good agreement here with the salary cap. I don't think people are going to lose a ton of jobs over this. Maybe some initially in 21. Uh, but even that, because of the TV deal, I think could uh, be worked out if they are smart about knowing what money's coming. Um, they could maybe keep the cap even where it is next year. I think it's a, a real possibility uh, for the league. So great job. It's done. It went to the executive committee. The players' uh, executive committee recommended it. It went to... The uh, players' uh, uh, reps, they signed off on it. It's official. Camp will start the 31st. We should have football uh, week one pending, barring any uh, health um, setbacks at this point, which uh, let's hope that that doesn't happen. Um, You have been listening to All Eyes on Cleveland. Mikey is on the ones and twos doing his thing tonight. Make sure you check out the show where all popular podcasts are found. Wherever you listen to your show, it's there. uh, Or listen to your podcast, it's there. And um, certainly uh, then um, it will be out tomorrow morning uh, if you go to the Browns Wire where we write... Um, I write, Jeff Risden writes, and others write terrific content there, but the show will be up there with the show description. Uh, tell your friends, listen to All Eyes on Cleveland, hit that subscribe button, listen to Andy Benoit's interview, who is fantastic. So glad that you could be with us, uh, and, uh, enjoy it some baseball, some Indians baseball on TV tonight. For Mikey on the ones and twos, glad the deal is done. We will have football. Knock on wood. For Mikey on the ones and twos, I am Brad Ward. We are out.
All right. <laughs> Greedy. Yes, sir. <laughs>